In the name of God, who loved us into being. Good morning. My name is Brian Litzenberger, and I'm a member of Trinity, husband, father of two, psychologist, and an aspirant for holy orders in the Diocese of Massachusetts. It is a blessing and an honor to be able to be here with you today, or whenever you are accessing this service. I've been thinking a lot about love lately. Maybe it's in the longings this pandemic has created for what we've lost or for whom we've lost. Maybe it's in the moments of grace that have emerged, old friendships rekindled, creative new ways we found to connect, the caring that I have witnessed between people in need, Black Lives Matter and our diocesan response of repentance, reparation, and reconciliation. Maybe it's also in confronting the division in our country and the need we all have right now for the love of God. I've been thinking and praying about love. And I have to tell you that the deeper I looked into the gospel for today, the more I came to see it as a call to love. On this penultimate Sunday of the church year, we find ourselves sitting with the disciples as Jesus prepares them for his departure. In the telling of this and the other parables we've been hearing, he's getting them ready to go on without him, to go on after he's gone. In this parable we heard today, the master gives his money to his slaves to take care of while he's away. He entrusts them as stewards of his riches, and it's a lot. One source reported one talent as the equivalent of 20 years earnings, 20 years earnings of an average laborer at the time. It's a lot. And remember, one of them got five talents. Upon returning, he finds the first two doubled their money, and he finds that the third buried it in the yard. And as we know, the first two get praised and welcomed into the joy of your master, and the third was thrown into the outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Some call to love. But hold on. Because what I believe Jesus is doing here is warning them not that God will cast them out, but that they will find themselves lost and alone and without a connection to God. Imagine that the talents in the parable represent the love of God. After Jesus leaves, he is then encouraging them to invest this love in the world. The one slave who doesn't, doesn't get the love returned back to him. The two who do are greatly rewarded because that's how love works. Give a little, get a lot. Bury it in the backyard and keep it a secret? Eh, not so much. I can't get past this without thinking about what it has been like to wear these masks. It makes it even harder to share love. Think of that moment when you are walking past someone you don't know and your eyes meet. Do you smile? Look back ahead? I know now that we are masked that I can sometimes slump into not making the effort. But I also feel like now is the time to make the effort, 
Tyra Banks, TV personality and model, says that the smile has to start with your eyes. This is true now more than ever, and a smile is like the talents. Give a little, get a lot. But the third slave is not a smiler. He fears the master's response, sees the master as vengeful, dangerous, threatening, and out of fear doesn't take the risk and buries the talent in the ground. And I get that. How many things might I bury in the yard if I could? And out of fear of being in trouble, he does that thing that ultimately gets him in trouble. Welcome to being human. Caught up in his own defensive response, not only does he put himself into danger and find himself disconnected from the master's joy, but he has also failed to see the love demonstrated by the master in trusting him in the first place. The master entrusted the wealth to the slaves, trusted them to do well with it, trusted them to make it grow. By contrast, the first two slaves somehow do manage to grow the master's investment. I can only wonder at how this might have been understood by the disciples and how they felt as they listened to Jesus, as they wondered what message he was giving to them. Imagine you are given more money than you have ever seen, more than you have imagined, and you take the risk of investing it all. What could possibly account for this freedom, for this risk-taking, if not trust and faith? The firm belief that the one who has entrusted you with his wealth trusts you and has your back. And so I see here Jesus naming two paths. One, trust God. God has entrusted you with the riches of the kingdom. God trusts you. Share this with the world and the reward will come back to you doubled and you will experience God's joy. Take the risk. Love big. And two, listen to your fears. Lose faith. Rely on self-protection and avoidance. Profit nothing. Lose God and find yourself alone and in danger. So yeah, it's a cautionary tale. But I can't stop this story here knowing that someone is left in the outer darkness. And furthermore, knowing that at any moment, this could be any one of us who hasn't behaved badly out of fear. Which of us hasn't misjudged? We have all at one time or another, because we are human, found ourselves relying on our defenses, outmoded as they may be, isolating as they are. And the more they isolate us, the more they block us from God and decrease our faith. What are we to do about that? I think about these desolate moments when we have, that we have, and remind myself that as I see it, the foundation of Christianity, the source of healing is love 
and connection. When we are lost and isolated, what works to bring us back to God? Love and the vehicle for love, connection. Can you think of when you were lost and how God found you? You know, there have been many times in my life, for sure, but today one has risen to the top. As some of you know, I grew up in Portland, Oregon, and attended St. Michael and All Angels Episcopal Church throughout my childhood. My family was very involved in the church, and this meant that I spent a great deal of time there, and, as a result, spent a great deal of time when I was little tagging along with the high school youth group. This was the 1970s, and there were experimental liturgies, rabble-rousing around women's ordination, guitar masses, and the musical Godspell. Lots of Godspell. The only time a neighbor, a neighbor ever complained that I was playing music too loudly was, well, it was Godspell. Speakers pointing out the windows as a friend and I shot hoops outside. And I traveled with the youth group as they sang selections from Godspell for Meals on Wheels in nursing homes. And one of the leaders of the youth group was this woman named Eddie Horton, one of the greats. As a self-taught jazz pianist, she accompanied all of this. Great flowing graying locks, a bit of a hippie, a bit funky, and exploding with love. And by the way, fabulous potato salad. This is, of course, why I now know all the words to the songs of this show. And this was all fabulous and a real blessing to be so loved and so included at a time when I suspect I needed it. But the point of this story comes next in Advent one drizzly afternoon, probably in 1975 or so, when I was looking out the front window of our house and saw Eddie coming up the walk. She had brought with her a Christmas present for me. It was the music to Godspell. It was this copy of the music to Godspell. And in my heart, I knew that she saw me, knew me, loved me. And amazing as it is to me throughout my life, Godspell has been a through line and at times a lifeline. Surgically placed love. Sometimes it only takes one person, one relationship, one moment that can enact salvation. Being human is hard, at times tremendously hard, and we can't do it alone. And we cannot do it without God and the limitless never shaming, all-encompassing, life-sustaining, abundant, prolific, ever-present, redemptive soul, 
saving love of God. And this amazing love has been given to each of us that we may also share it with each other so that we may all be lifted up, that we may all be welcomed into the joy of the master. So smile first. Risk investing your talents. Love wildly and heal the world. God's got your back. Amen.